In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, and welcome to the live stream service at Mayflower Congregational Church. We're happy that you're here this morning. We're happy that you have chosen to join our live stream worship. I'm Jonathan White, the interim pastor, and I'm serving with the Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, our interim pastor, and we're joined by Dr. Julia Brown, our music director, our special guest, Christy and Cicely Berghart, welcome, our cantors this morning, and Pat McGuire, our technician and stage manager. Now, you never see Pat on camera. He's right back there. He's responsible for that camera. He's responsible for all the angles. He's responsible for checking everything we do. And Pat, we're glad you're here this morning. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It brings uh, the end of the liturgical year. It's also our Vision Sunday as we celebrate our stewardship drive. And to say a few words about our stewardship drive, I would like to invite my good friend of many years, and he still calls me a good friend even though we hoodwinked him into this job, I'd like to invite Ken Goodson up to explain I think uh, our friendship will be determined whether or not the Eagles can take down your crazy Cleveland Browns today. (laughs) Fly, Eagles, fly. Um, Last week, some of you who were watching saw me take a header off this uh, podium. I uh, staged right, and uh, darn near took out Ruth uh, Bella Olson. And uh, as I got closer to Jonathan, he mentioned to me that, you know, I fell off that darn thing last week. I think we have some real safety issues here, Jonathan. (laughs) Our friends, Mayflower, I promised an update this morning, and we are off to a good start. We've received pledges totaling a bit over $110,000, or 16% of the budget goal of $985, and as a reminder, Council reduced last year's actual expenditures by 23%. The good news is that any mail arriving Friday and Saturday has not been counted, very much like the ballots in my home state of Pennsylvania. After Monday's count, I will let you know where we stand in this week's newsletter. Please know that I have made sure that this campaign is completely confidential. Only a couple of folks are aware of your pledge amounts, and that is not shared. In fact, as I or a staff member sends a thank you note, we only know that a pledge was made and not the amount. And for those of you who need to take a sabbatical this year, would you please let us know? Just sign and return the pre-stamped pledge card you received. This will help us understand if we have a realistic shot at making the budget plan for 2021, and if we have to work out a phone campaign, I will at least have a don't bug me list. More to come hopefully in the form of more pledges. Please look to the emailed newsletter this week or go to mayflower.org news to find it online. Have a great, safe, and blessed Thanksgiving. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ken. So important that our pledge drive be successful 
after maintaining all staff, which we've been able to do, we haven't had to cut anybody's hours or lay anyone off. My number one priority is to get our outreach back up to 15%. We're the church, and that's where our outreach goal belongs. Thank you for giving, those of you who can give this year. Now, we're also in the process of searching for a senior pastor. In fact, today was supposed to be my last day. I agreed to extend this a few weeks because the, the search for a church like Mayflower takes a while. We have a great search committee, and I have another friend of many years, Steve Waltman. Steve's here to talk to us about the pastoral search. So, Steve, would you come up and say a few words to us, please? Good morning, Mayflower Congregation. I'm here this morning to share with you a brief update on the project, on the process of your pastoral search committee. The good news is that we have made significant progress these past few months. We are prayerfully guided by Ginger Young, and we have been busy. The committee is comprised of seven members of the congregation. There has been information on the newsletter. And we represent the various generational stakeholders of church membership. It is your committee's intention that our new senior minister reflect the growing diversity of this church and be prepared to lead us on all on our search for the joy of living in God's grace. Our first order of business was to aggregate the information found in the survey that was conducted earlier this year. We poured over the results and were able to determine the key aspects of its wisdom. We then created an outline of preferred attributes of our perfect candidate. One aspect of our duty became very clear very early on, the need to accelerate the process, that we might present our candidate sooner rather than later. To that end, we determined to hire a nationwide search consultant that would help us in all aspects of this assignment. We were able, with the help of our council, to hire the top firm in the United States to assist us. We contracted with the Vanderblumen Search Group, located in Houston, Texas. They specialize in our type of search and offer a database of 80,000 contacts. Our interaction with them so far has been fantastic. Under their guidance, we were asked to produce a video that highlights all aspects of Mayflower Church. According to Vanderblumen, the process in today's virtual landscape is to put out the notice of our opportunity on their website where thousands of ministers can see it. Should anyone be interested, they can click on a link, which will then introduce them to Mayflower via this video. I hope you have an opportunity to view our video on the Mayflower website. The committee wants to thank Reverend Ruth Bell Olson and Dr. Julia Brown for their assistance. With their help, this video comes to life and presents our Mayflower Church in a way that depicts the spiritual direction, programs, people, outreach, and beauty of Mayflower. In addition, 
I ask you to consider offering the names of any ministers you might know. Please leave your suggestions with the church office. We expect that Vanderblumen will begin to receive inquiries on their website this week. It is their job to screen these applicants first using the information the committee has prepared. The committee anticipates looking at candidates in mid-December. Rest assured that the time and effort that went into creating an accurate and compelling picture of Mayflower Church to entice the person with the right heart and spirit to lead Mayflower was an important part of the process. Now, we wait for God to touch the heart of our future learner to bring him or her forward. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. So many people are depending on that committee. Thank you so much. People often ask me, John, when are you going to open the church? Well, I'm very thankful for an executive council that has supported a decision. While we implemented a plan for phase reopening, the recent spike in COVID has forced us to keep the church locked and to stop our phase opening. We've canceled the Bible study groups and the youth groups that we're planning to meet in the church. Uh, and I'm grateful for a council and executive committee that supports my decision on that. In addition, COVID is running through our church. We have members who are suffering, and we've lost members. In particular, we remember Fran Kistler as she mourns the passing of her husband, Fred, who died of COVID. I also want you to lift up Mary Ann and George Coronius. George is in intensive care. Uh, his lungs are full of fluid from the disease. Mary Ann is suffering at home. However, she told me yesterday she's turned the corner. Plus, her daughters from California arrived on Friday night, and they're helping her out. COVID is the reason the church is closed. Please keep Fran, Marianne, and George and all the victims of COVID, the essential workers, in your prayers. I'm also saddened to report the passing of Gordon Bundy and Phil Cornelius. We miss them. We bless their families and know that God is blessing their families. This year, we're producing an Advent devotional. You can sign up to receive an email each day we'll have artwork or music, written devotions, or prayers. A link is provided to our website for our weekly news email. Sign up if you're interested. And also this week we're finally going to get together. It's going to be outside Thursday morning at 10 a.m. We'll have a brief 12 to 15 minute Thanksgiving service in the tradition of Mayflowers. We'll have a pilgrim family. We'll have ushers as pilgrims. We'll have our drummers. We'll have hymns, we'll have biblical readings, prayers, and a celebration. After this brief service, you'll be free to walk up toward the portico where there will be loaves of pumpkin bread to be given, and we will have two outreach opportunities, one to give new throw blankets to the Salvation Army, the other to bring warm clothing 
to uh, Mel Trotter with the homeless. You can also, if you can't attend this Sunday, or this Thursday, you can also come to the church anytime between 9 and 2 during the week and drop off the donation. And finally this morning, I would like to introduce our music director, Dr. Julia Brown, to say a few words about today's music. Now thank we all our God, with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done and whom this world rejoices. This is our opening hymn during this week of Thanksgiving. This iconic hymn, this text of Thanksgiving and praise, was written by a German Lutheran pastor, Martin Rinkart, uh, around 1636-1637 during a relentless war and severe plague. Rinkart became the head of the Archdiocese in Eilenburg, Germany, during the Thirty Years' War. Eilenburg was a walled town and refuge for fugitives from far and near. It suffered from famine and disease in the midst of unsanitary and overcrowded conditions. And in 1637... The plague claimed many lives, including most of the town council, a huge amount of children, clergymen from neighboring parishes, and Rinkart's wife. Rinkart performed 40 to 50 funerals a day, more than 4,000 that year. In the midst of all this suffering, he wrote a hymn, not a lament, not a plea for vindication or a cry for mercy, but a hymn of gratitude. May we, during the pandemic of our time, yearn for the faith, the trust, the gratitude, courage, and love which shone bright through the life of Martin Rinkart. For those who have studied European history, you know those years, 1618 to 1648, were some of the most tragic in Europe, especially in the Germanies, where so many people were killed. To write that hymn during that time gives us courage. We're suffering today, but we too can get through this. Now, thank we all our God. And now... Calm yourself. Center yourself. Focus on the holy. Wherever you are, whatever your stage of faith, however you define the God of love, come to that love. Come to that center. Come to that holy of Holies, come and worship with us. It's Sunday morning, and it's time for church. Please join me now in the call to worship. Hear the words of, the, of Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into God's presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. The Lord made us, and we are of God. We are the Lord's people and the sheep of God's pasture. Enter God's gates with thanksgiving and God's courts with praise. Give thanks to God and bless the name of the Lord, for the Lord is good. God's steadfast love endures forever, and God's faithfulness extends to all generations. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christy. Let us pray. Holy One, enthroned in glory over all creation, you are a shepherd to the lost and the least. 
Teach us to see your face among the poor, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, and visiting those who are sick or in prison. Help us to do this so that we may share in your eternal realm, prepared from the foundation of the world, through Jesus Christ, who is coming indeed to reign with justice, compassion, and love. Amen. Cecily, that was beautiful. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 1 through 11, then skipping to verses 20 through 22. Listen for the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places to which they have scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses, and in the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture, and there they will lie down in good grazing land. They shall feed on rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Skipping to verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. 
The second reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 45. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the Son of Mortals comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations shall gather before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison? were sick and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for the least of these, you did not do it for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, here we are, singing, now thank we all our God. We thank you for this church, for how you continue to provide for us, and we thank you for the divine love that surrounds us. And we acknowledge that we are in the midst of unprecedented days, full of confusion and heartache, fear and loss. As we hold these two realities, keep our hands open to receive what you have for us and open to give generously. Be with us as we study your holy word this morning and prepare us to be transformed. Amen. This year's 100 most popular baby names for boys includes some interesting monikers. 
Number one is Liam, followed by Noah and William. Number 50 is Leo. Number 73 is Maverick. But number 87 is super curious to me. It's Ezekiel, the 87th most popular baby boy name in 2020 is Ezekiel, an Old Testament priest, prophet, and seer. This is an interesting mantle for an infant, isn't it? Ezekiel is a prophet who, in a bizarre display of obedience, famously lay on his side for 390 days, eating only one meal, and that one meal was cooked over manure. The Old Testament prophets ran the gamut of unusual characters, And one could argue that Ezekiel was one of the more normal ones. He was born into a priestly family and had vast knowledge of culture and current events and his Jewish heritage. But around 597 B.C., the invading Babylonians, ordered by Nebuchadnezzar, relocated roughly 10,000 Jews to a village called Tel Abib. Ezekiel was one of these Jews exiled to this Babylonian village during this era of international upheaval. Ezekiel, the priest prophet, preached to his fellow exiles, those wanting desperately to go back to Jerusalem and back to normal. But there was no normal to go back to. Jerusalem had been decimated. Yet Ezekiel had to offer some kind of hope. What we see in our scripture passage this morning is hope, for sure, but also some pretty direct judgment. What have the Israelites done in exile? How have they handled themselves? What about priorities? Have they differed from their captors? Ezekiel is challenging God's chosen people and how they have behaved. By using an analogy of sheep and shepherds, he was using imagery that would have been very familiar to a Jewish audience. The flock is scattered, which indicates a faulty shepherd. The shepherd is supposed to be good, to care well, to feed well, to bring the sheep into green and fertile pastures. It appears that the shepherds have not been doing their job. So Ezekiel says the Lord is taking over the shepherding duties and will do so with care, restoring the broken and lost sheep, reviving them. Ezekiel is pointing to a future full of hope and redemption, divine deliverance. But what about those negligent shepherds? This disparity needs to be addressed. Many sheep have suffered. Yet some sheep are sleek and strong and fat. These sheep need to be destroyed. The text tells us the fat and strong will be destroyed. Okay, so let's just pause here. The fat and strong will be destroyed? Doesn't that sound harsh? Wouldn't every flock have some sheep that are kind of on the thin side and some that are maybe on the stocky side? Why punish those who are on the heftier end of things? Verse 22 says, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be ravaged and I will judge between sheep and sheep. 
Or phrased another way, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. The sheep with the power plundered. They fattened themselves while the others were hurt. It's the imbalance between the sheep that's the problem. There's basic care for the sheep and then there's exploitation. One writer insists justice and care belong together because the shepherd metaphor metaphor was always first and foremost a political metaphor. To be a king was to be a shepherd. Viewed from that perspective, the more surprising element of the shepherd metaphor may be the way it shapes perceptions about the proper exercise of power. Ezekiel is speaking about power and about leadership, unjust leadership. Justice and righteousness manifest themselves as life and solidarity with the marginalized rather than right relationship with the existing status quo. The Jewish leaders became so aligned with the status quo that their people were further marginalized. I will shepherd the flock with justice, the text proclaims. So not only will a good shepherd care for those in need, there's judgment for those who haven't cared. Ezekiel's message was a foretaste of sound leadership and a correction of the conditions that had put sheep in harm's way. There are bad shepherds, and this needs to be addressed. And there are sheep who follow bad shepherds and end up hurting the flock. But how the sheep treat each other is of utmost importance. With this warning and reminder that judgment is real, Ezekiel is calling his people back to the way of God. Promote the welfare and well-being of all people. Make justice the norm. As leaders especially, make sure that justice prevails and that all people can flourish. All the sheep, not just the fat ones. So Ezekiel is placing justice and care in their proper relationship. And this poses some interesting questions for us. Can we have justice without care? And can we we truly care without regard to justice? So if we're feeding the hungry, for example, that's good. But why are they hungry in the first place? According to Feeding America, 35 million Americans struggle with hunger. In our current pandemic economy, nearly one in eight households do not have enough to eat. This is not because we have an insufficient food supply in our country. It's much deeper and more complicated. Is this a justice issue? Here at Mayflower, we have a long legacy of outreach and care for those experiencing homelessness or those experiencing food insecurity, those without access to quality health care. This demonstrates compassion and mercy, of course. And this is beautiful. But how often do we look at the root causes of these inequalities? How often do we move beyond our care in pursuit of justice? Is one reason we shy away from this because it's easier to feed someone and walk away than do the long, hard work of addressing systems and policies that keep hungry people spinning in cycles of food insecurity? 
Or do we shy away from this because it just might get political? These are very difficult realities to wrestle with, and we will, as a church, continue to do this kind of wrestling. What we see in Ezekiel, that there's hope for those who are weak and scattered, and there's judgment for those who have taken more than their fair share and not pursued equality and justice. So care and judgment, hope, care and justice, hope and judgment. But as Jesus followers, how do these themes relate to the passage we read from Matthew 25? The Matthew text for this morning is one of the last teachings Jesus gave before he was arrested. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus begins, he will separate people from one another like a shepherd separates the sheep. Hmm, this sounds a bit like Ezekiel, doesn't it? The king will say to those on his right, come, take your inheritance. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And a surprised response, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger in need of hospitality? The king identifies with those in need. Whatever you did for one of the least, you did for me. The message translation of the Bible reads, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. And of course, we see later in the passage that what was not done for those in need was not done for the king. This separation is based on how we treat people in need. Our actions or our inactions matter. And those in need are somehow directly identified with Christ. Is this simply a teaching on being kind, generous, caring? Maybe. Is this a teaching about justice? Maybe. Or perhaps Jesus is leading us to embody care and justice and something else. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This kingdom of God, in which we are all inheritors, reflects the family of God. Theologian Ada Maria Isafi Diaz suggests a renaming of the kingdom of God to the kingdom of God. When the fullness of God becomes a day-to-day reality in the world at large, we will all be sisters and brothers to each other. We will indeed be the family of God. So what if those in need are my brothers and sisters, my family, my kin? And what if those in need have something to offer me? We are all impoverished in different ways. As rich or privileged as we may be, we are not the Savior. Jesus is. So a few weeks ago, I was with a group of clergy and church leaders who decided to offer communion in downtown Grand Rapids to anyone who passed by and wanted to partake. I know, it's a bit out there, but we did it anyway. On a cloudy Sunday afternoon, 
We set up a small altar in a parking lot near Fulton and Division. We had tiny little COVID-approved communion cups. They kind of look like coffee creamers. There's juice in the bottom. There are two thin lids with a dime-sized wafer in between. We had told our friends about this, and we'd put the event on social media. So we had a handful of cars drive by, and we, with gloved hands, practically tossed the little communion cups through car windows. We recited a brief communion liturgy, and the participants sped off through the parking lot. A gentleman who works at one of the downtown churches came around the corner near where we were stationed, and my friend and fellow pastor Joan, she called out, Hey, do you want communion? Nope, he replied and hurried away. She turned to me and she said, Who says no to communion? (laughs) I don't know. I was a bit puzzled. And to be honest, I wondered what we were doing. Does anybody really care? Does this make a difference? I'm cold. I'm uncomfortable. Even the church man isn't interested. But a few minutes later, as the temperature continued to drop a few degrees, a man came toward us on a bike. He was piloting his bike with one hand holding a cigarette. He had a large pack on his back. And dangling from the handlebar was a tent. The tent was rolled into its stuff sack and swung back and forth as he pedaled. Joan and I greeted him as he approached our makeshift altar. He came right up to the table and stopped. Hi. Would you like to take communion, we asked. Sure, he replied. We handed him one of our tiny Eucharistic cups as we offered a few words of liturgy. He peeled off the top layer, extracted the cracker, and then downed the juice like a shot. Thanks. What's your name? asked Joan. Matthew. Nice to meet you, Matthew. You too. He smiled and began to ride across the parking lot. Then he paused. He kind of rode in a circle. Hey, do you know where I can get free clothes and shoes? Joan and I looked at each other. We are the ones who oversee outreach at our prospective churches. So we should be able to answer this question. Yeah, we said. We gave him a few suggestions. Okay, great. He continued smiling and rode away. We watched him as he pedaled westward. I turned to Joan and I said, I really needed to meet Matthew. She said, me too. Why did I need to meet Matthew? He, for all I know, sleeps in his tent, outside. He's looking for free clothes. Perhaps he is someone in need. But what I realized in our brief interaction was that I was the one in need. I needed to be reminded of a hunger for Jesus, hunger for communion. My soul was weary out in that parking lot, questioning our purpose. And the most unlikely person, a person in need, was the one who demonstrated unfiltered joy and gratitude at receiving the body and blood. Ah, right. The body and blood. The love of a Savior who identifies with the broken and downtrodden and who offers us what is truly real. Here's the question. Is there a need for a change in the power differential? Can we move from charity, giving the handout as people in positions of power to those in need, 
Can we move from charity to hospitality? Welcoming the stranger, but still maintaining there's a giver and a recipient. Can we move even further to mutuality? We are together in this, and we have a lot to learn from each other. Can we move from charity to hospitality to mutuality? Can I open myself up to the possibility that I have something to receive from someone labeled needy? Maybe Jesus identifies with the needy because he emptied himself. He is the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected. This is our Savior. This is who we are to emulate, not a fat sheep. What if I don't personally know, really know anyone hungry, naked, incarcerated? Perhaps this is where we start. Perhaps the fat sheep Ezekiel references didn't start out as fat. Perhaps they simply moved so far into their comfort zone that they didn't even see the the lean and the weak sheep anymore. How might my life change if I start knowing, really knowing, folks on the margins? There's a quote posted on the Mel Trotter website. People don't become homeless when they run out of money. They become homeless when they run out of relationships. Poverty is the result of a lack of relationship. Maybe this is a critical part of Jesus' teaching. Have we isolated ourselves? Do you only hang out with people like us? Are our only friends those in our socioeconomic circle? And how might my life change if my relationships include those who truly struggle? What might they be able to teach me? How might my checkbook, my advocacy, and my heart be shaped? How might I understand more deeply Jesus' message of the kingdom of God? Aboriginal artist, activist, and academic Lila Watson has a beautiful quote. If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. We are connected to one another. I'm not okay if you're not okay. Perhaps above all, the ability to feel the pain of our brothers and sisters and to feel indignation for the injustice they suffer is required so that we can move towards solidarity and mutuality. Perhaps we can try to meet their needs by widely sharing the resources we have, be those tangible items, or access. Access to people and places, professional expertise that was previously inaccessible. But in our sharing, can we remain open to what resources are being offered to us? It is in that kind of sharing that God happens. In that love that is made effective by building more just relationships. So let us actively pursue just Relationships As we feed, clothe, welcome, and heal, may we also be the recipients of the warmth and nurture that comes from treating each other as the Christ-bearers that we are. And may the kingdom of God reign.
In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. As stewards of the Lord's resources, may we be faithful and generous. Thank you for your gifts, tithes, and offering made to the church, made to the kingdom of God for the work of the Lord.
Let us pray. Holy God, may you find our gifts worthy, and may you use us mightily to love you and serve you with all that we have. May they be used in worship and also to heal the lost, the lonely, the poor, the afflicted, those in prison, the abused, and the ones who have nothing. May our offerings help bring all the sheep into your pasture. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we, your people, acclaim you. We praise you. We exalt you. We bless your holy name. It is your love that is revealed in the life and death of Jesus. It is your power that is seen in his resurrection. It is your majesty that is made known by his ascension into heaven to be at your side. Help us, O God, to always keep your power and your authority and your love and your majesty in our minds. Help us to never neglect the doing of your will. Help us to be obedient to the word you place in our hearts and minds.
Father and Mother of us all, we believe that Christ Jesus should rule within our worship and our lives together as your people. We believe, too, that Christ should rule over our work in the world and within our family life. Indeed, we profess he wants us to be Lord of our lives, the one who is supreme in deciding how we should relate to our friends and neighbors. Help us make this manifest in what we do each and every day. Help us in how we make decisions about how we spend our time and our money. Help us as we employ our hands and in how we direct our feet and how we speak and think and how we rest and how we work and how we take care of the poor, the lost, the lonely, the naked, and those caught up in our prison system. And in this time of COVID, we lift up our church and all those streaming or watching the rebroadcast of this service and all the people who seek you in their myriad traditions. We remember the victims of COVID, especially Fred Kistler, Marianne Coronius, George Coronius, and those we silently name in our hearts. now, whether live streaming or watching on YouTube, please join your voice with mine.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now, may you be challenged today to move from charity to hospitality to mutuality as you engage those on the margins. May you continue to see Christ in every person. And may you be transformed by the power of this Christ. May you experience the kingdom of God and may it blow you away. Now thank we all, our God. Amen.